0: This is the Inner Voice Audio Experience, and I'm your host, Travis McKenzie. Endurance athletes spend a lot of time in their own heads, and their own self-talk can either drive them towards their goals or crush them in an instant. We often focus on mastering the body, but these battles play out in the mind. I host inspiring athletes and innovators from across the endurance sports industry and explore the trials and tribulations that often play out well before race day and in their personal lives. You will recognize the names, but you won't have heard their stories told like this before.
1: I climbed up the first floor, and I climbed up the second floor, um, and I climbed up the third floor. I reached up with my right arm and right shoulder, and it dislocated, and Robert McDonald fell back 31 feet from my uh, hotel uh, balcony, and I hit the ground, and I basically thought, thought two things, and the first thing I thought is... Um, what have I done? And the second thing I thought is, I can't feel my legs.
0: Today's interview is with Robert McDonald, who shares his harrowing story of how he went from having fun in a Mexican resort to almost never walking again, and his journey to creating I Will and Team I Will and raising money for the Toronto Rehab Centre through Endurance Sports and bringing together a community of people who are doing amazing things to support others. You'll hear the raw emotion from Robert throughout our interview, and I hope that you leave inspired and motivated to give the best that you possibly can. Today's episode is presented by iCall Labs. I call make a fantastic full spectrum hemp CBD product that I've been using for quite a while now. It really helps with recovery, it really helps with sleep, it really helps with anxiety and I think it will help you too. Robert and I talk about sleep and the importance of sleep throughout his recovery from his accident and I think it will benefit you as well in your day to day life and your pursuits as an endurance athlete. ICOR have been generous enough to offer 15% off each and every order for inner voice listeners. Stay tuned and listen till the end of the show, and I'll give you more details about how you can access that fantastic offer. But for now, here's Robert and I. I hope you enjoy the show. Robert McDonald, how are you, my friend?
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Looking forward to uh, speaking with you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we've been able to connect and um, I've caught you in the middle of your chores. Uh, you're in downtown Toronto. I'm in Boston, so we're not too far away. Are you getting the heat wave that we're having here right now?
1: Uh, well, I mean, heat wave, I think it's uh, about five degrees here in Toronto. So uh, <laughs> I'll take that, I guess, in the winter. I'm a winter sports guy though also. So Right. I actually I, I prefer the colder when it when it comes to winter. Don't get me wrong, I like I like a good Canadian summer as well. But uh, yeah, I I when it gets cold and it's in the winter, I would prefer minus ten than plus five.
0: Well, I'm the complete opposite. I will. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to jinx it, but uh, I'll take this weather any day uh, in the wintertime. The fact that I get to go out and ride my bike in the sun is always a plus.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, you see, you see some people getting them out for one day. The problem is here, he get some assault, right? So you, you yeah. got If you've got a bike that you like, uh, it's, it's, it's a little risky.
0: Totally. Now, Robert, you and I have connected we've got some, you know, some similarities about our stories and, um, our journeys, I guess, into endurance sports and the, the intersection that we've kind of led to in that regard. But why don't you, uh, give us the background, uh, on who Robert McDonald is and give us a bit, bit of your story.
1: I mean, without uh, boring everyone and taking too much time up, I'll try to sum up my life prior to I guess the most pivotal point, and uh, and then and then explain and uh, you can interject at any time if you think that's it's the right thing to do. But uh, I mean, I grew up just outside of Toronto, uh, two sisters, a happy family, medium uh, income, um, playing sports, uh, specifically, Canada's favorite sport and hockey um, was definitely my passion and my mainstay and played that at a high level all the way growing up Um, and did some sports in uh, high school as well. and um, I actually was on my high school ping pong team, uh, rugby, badminton, and then hockey. So I had a, 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 as I guess I'm saying, I had a lot of sports in my life and uh, I think that coincided with me and my competitive personality uh, that surrounded all aspects, but really uh, was used in the, in the sporting life. Um, and then uh, after high school, uh, competitive sport pretty much ended for me. I went to university and uh, you know played recreational stuff, but nothing um, where I took it really seriously. And um, after graduating university, uh, I moved back uh, to my home area. And I actually began playing squash, which I'd never picked up really a squash racket in my life uh, prior to that. And I began playing it five days a week. Like, I just love the game. I love the um, endurance behind that sport, um, but also the the mental game and the physical aspects uh, that you got. Um, and such a good workout in 45 minutes, I guess it would have been. So uh, I was you know, a very bad when I started, I mean, real bad. (laughs) And, um, it, you know, I started to improve over time. I was actually got, got half decent. I was playing to, uh, uh, C one. And if you know anything about squash, uh, that's pretty good. I was on the stages of getting into the B level and A is, A is basically professional. So, um, I was really enjoying it and getting good. And I'd actually gone, um, was probably midway through season. And I went down on, Uh, to Mexico with a bunch of my friends, unrelated to squash, uh, and for a vacation. And we um, um, had been uh, enjoying all that Mexico and Cabo St. Lucas offers, um, having fun and getting a tan and all those kind of things. And I actually went out for uh, dinner that night on the resort um, and had some dinner and we had plans of going out for a big hoopla actually in Cabo St. Lucas that night. So we had dinner and I came back to my place to shower up and get ready because we'd been at the beach all day and everything. And, uh, this was about seven forty-five, Um, and instead of, uh, going back to my room and, um, knocking on the door and everything like that, which I tried, my roommate was uh, not, not there, not available. Um, I went back and I was on my way to the hotel reception area to get a new key to get back into my room so it could go up for the night. And as I was walking by, I looked over at the balcony and this was I was on the third story. And I was at the pool area and I was looking at it and I walked over. And I was like, man, I don't need to walk 15 minutes back. I'm just going to climb right up there and go in the balcony door, which I knew was open. And let me tell you, I'd like to take that decision back. Um, now yeah. because uh, I climbed up the first floor and I climbed up the second floor um, and I climbed up the third floor and I was basically about to reach onto my um, balcony um, and the railing there. And what happened was I, I reached up with my, um, at that time, right arm and right shoulder. And I mentioned to you, I played hockey and rugby growing up. And I'd actually had surgery when I was on it. And when I was 18 on the shoulder and it dislocated and Robert McDonald fell back 31 feet um, from, yeah, from my uh, hotel uh, balcony and I hit the ground and I basically thought two things. And the first thing I thought is, um, what have I done? Yeah. And the second thing I thought is, I can't feel my legs. Yeah. When you're in, you know, Mexico, first of all, a foreign place, and you've made this, and you know instantly. I mean, I was very lucky not to have a a head injury, but I knew instantly because I was cognizant that I was in a real, real bad spot. Never mind the pain and all that kind of stuff. I just knew that. This, you know, sitting there, lying there with no one around, uh, this was immediately a life-changing moment. And um, I was lucky enough that the first person to walk by coming from the pool was a U.S. paramedic on vacation. And so, I mean, it was first responder without being uh, called in. And uh, this man, who I never actually figured out his name, Maybe if he hears this, he'll, he'll realize who it is, but uh, um, he came over and I was lying there and I couldn't really talk or speak because I had punctured my lung um, on my right side. So I was kind of like nodding to him and telling him, and he was trying to do all the concussion signals. uh, You know, growing up in hockey and rugby, I knew what those were, asking me what day it was and that kind of stuff. And um, basically he called for help and then, you know, the crowd started forming and eventually um, a Mexican uh, ambulance came from the hospital and got me onto a stretcher and then brought me to the Mexican hospital where um, I'm used to Canadian healthcare, which is is premium and it's free. Um, and uh, let's just say that it wasn't that to the same standard um, in the Mexican hospital. And at that point I knew you know, I was in real, real bad shape. And I said to my friends that were there with me, like, you got to get me home. I don't care what it costs or what this is or what they say. Like, I need to go home. If I am able to get onto a plane, I need to go home. We called my insurance that I had with my my visa, which, you know, tidbit, always get your travel insurance. You never know what's going to happen. They We were able to secure me a medical flight home. Um, and I left. Um, that next morning, I think about at 10 AM or something like that and flew from Cabo to Dallas and Dallas, or maybe Houston, uh, and Houston to Toronto, Pearson airport, and then was ambulance to St. Michael's hospital, um, which is the best emergency care in Canada as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, I actually would have uh, surgery within 36 hours of this all happening. And uh, you know where I am today. Apparently, this is quite crucial. As my neurosurgeon, Doctor Howard Ginsberg, who has 18 years of post-secondary education, uh, said, you know that was one of the most critical things to make my job be more successful. As the how fast you actually got there and uh, the less tension on the spinal cord. And uh, you know to loop back, what happened was uh, when I fell, um, I broke. Every one of my ribs on my right side, 11 ribs total, broke my scapula, which is your shoulder blade uh, bone, uh, clean across. I broke nine vertebrae from my T-section and uh, I punctured my lung and pretty sure lacerated my kidney. And also the biggest one, which is why I couldn't feel my legs, was I um, dislocated my spine from T10 to T12. And what happened when that occurred was a pinch in my uh, on my spinal cord, and immediately when your spinal cord is uh, touched, it's very very, very sensitive, uh, and the electrodes can't go through. you lose sensation at this point, uh, I'd lost 100 percent of sensation from my basically just above my belly button down. my family surrounding me and at this point, I'm not worried about walking again. I'm worried about living. Um, I was in very critical condition, intensive care unit, and I would slowly progress better and have some some tough times, but I would slowly progress better. And about 10 days after that, I would leave the ICU and head into trauma, uh, which obviously you don't want to be in a trauma unit of a hospital either, but it was a step up for me. I would spend two more weeks there recovering before about Uh, two more weeks in orthopedics area of the hospital um, which is where I kind of first had my first glimpse of I'm going to have some hope and there was a little twitch in my toe and twitch in my calf and basically I hadn't felt anything in my lower body for that period of time so when this started to happen and I got multiple movements I knew that you know this is an opportunity if that can happen I think something else can happen and I didn't know the science or anything behind it. But I just said to me personally, you know, um, I'm going to, to change this. And at that point, I, I was pretty depressed. And it, I had to, I was in the hospital over the holidays. And I, I, you know, my loving family was coming all the time to come visit me to spend their holidays in a hospital. And it was tough. And uh, I, um, being such an active personality person, I wanted to get out of there and I couldn't and it was really tough and really, really rough. And I would spend long days lying there, not moving, not um, able to get up and get a drink or uh, go to the bathroom. I'm on catheters and all the, you know, stuff that is is a little weak on the stomach. Um, mm. So I kind of said to the, I had I had this person come in from spinal cord injury Ontario, and they came in. And they said to me, you know. Here's the pamphlets. This is how you apply for social service. Um, This is how you, um, you know, can deal with a a spinal cord injury, and um, this is you know where you apply to get a wheelchair and all that kind of stuff that they gave me right off the bat. And you know it was nice of them to come in and do that, Um, but that was not even remotely where my head was at. As soon as they left, I threw out the pamphlets and said. Uh, this is not going to happen for me. I'm not, uh, I'm not applying for social service. I'm not, you know, applying to get a wheelchair. I'm going to fight to, to be able to walk again. And I was in a circumstance where my injury was called Asia B. And, uh, you know, to give you a quick um, lesson on paralysis in the spinal cord, you want to fail the Asia scale. It's based on A to F and you don't want to get an A plus in this. You want to get an F. Um, and mine was Asia B. Mm. And basically, um, mine was incomplete, which means your whole spinal cord is not severed. Um, if you're complete Asia A, that's as, wor- as worse possible as you can get. And you basically have no chance of walking again. But I was in Asia B and incomplete. So my spinal cord was still attached. Um, although the worst possibly could be. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's, case and i, I I'm, I'm still able to feel some certain things down there I'm not not giving up and so in I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with the fact that you have those whiteboards in the hospitals and in your rooms that say maybe your nurse's name or your blood pressure or weather outside and I said like you know I, I don't want to look at that stuff anymore. I want to look at, I can't even get out of here. I want to look at something motivating. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I wrote, I will on that board. I asked the nurse, can you, you know, I couldn't get up. So I asked them, can you write it? So they wiped it all off and wrote, I will on there. And to me, I will at that time just meant I'll get out of here. And um, I looked at it every night when I went to bed and I looked at it every. Morning, when I woke up and I looked at it every time I was being negative um, in the circumstance that I was in. And I'd end up leaving St. Michael's Hospital and going to Toronto Rehab's Lindhurst Spinal Cord Rehabilitation Center. And now, uh, again, me being a lucky guy, I ended up in Canada's best uh, spinal cord rehabilitation facility under Toronto Rehab. And that was where my real opportunity started. I was working with I got stretchered in there from you know a bed in St. Michael's and stretchered into my new hospital bed at this place. And I would start working with physiotherapists there and all the medical devices that they have. Um, and you know, weeks would pass by where I would have tiny progressions and whatnot. and then another week would pass by, and I would stand for the first time um, with aid of three physiotherapists. And then, you know, weeks would pass by and I would um, take my first step with physiotherapist aided and then, you know, more time would pass and I would take my first step alone. Um, and then I would start walking very, 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 very slowly um, with aids. And then, you know, months would pass by and I was walking on my own, you know, maybe 50 steps um, or so. Before I would have to, you know, return to the wheelchair and everything like that. Um, I was total in uh, Toronto Rehab's spinal cord injury um, rehabilitation center for um, just over three and a half months as an inpatient, that I would walk out of there um, and, you know, be uh, so grateful for what I got from them, but so. Uh, inspired also that I wasn't uh, submitting to this injury and I was able to continue and progress forward. I would continue to go back there for about nine months as an outpatient. Um, And in total, I've, um, and then I would switch over to private physiotherapy. Um, In total, I've probably done over 500 hours of physiotherapy with a physiotherapist one-on-one. Um, uh, never mind the countless hours of you know me uh doing it with myself yeah. I, I i could say i'm an amateur physiotherapist <laughs> by now um but you know it, time would pass by and i was not i i was returning to life but i wasn't back fully by any means and um my my body was probably at a uh, 50% capacity in in terms of just regular everyday things, but in terms of you know any kind of sport or anything like that, it was at five percent, maybe ten percent, any kind of agility or stronger or dynamic movements yeah and you know I, I got back to a point where I was living my life uh, with you know some in, uh, handicaps and some inhibitations um, but I wanted to continue to press like it wasn't it wasn't to a point where I was um, satisfied. And, you know, I, you could probably ask me that question today and I'd probably say I'm still not satisfied, even though most people would never know I actually had an injury.
0: I think like putting a full stop on it there is a incredible story. And I think there's a lot more of your journey that we can, we can get to and we can share, but before we do move too far past it, I want to, I want to ask you a couple of questions and I'm sitting here like goosebumps like tears in my eyes kind of welling up a little bit hearing you tell this story and I want to get a sense from you like that moment when you realize you're falling like what is do you remember what you were thinking or what your inner voice is telling you in that moment as you're heading towards the ground
1: yeah I I do and uh, you know sometimes I wish I did get a concussion because <laughs> uh, it's it's not the my fondest memory and it was just it was one of a disappointment in myself in that, you know, why did you take this risk? Um, even in that split second that uh, this was all happening, I don't, you know, I don't know how long my fall was, but it seemed like forever. I, you know, when my shoulder dislocated and I know exactly what that feels like, because I did it 75 times prior in sports and all these other things, um, I, I just knew like, this is not good. And I should not be falling from this height. And basically my thought was uh, three words, uh, four words. What have I done? Um, yeah. And uh, I still, still to this day think that, you know, why, did, well, why, why did I take that risk? Um, I don't, I don't look on it and back and, and look down on myself, but what have I done?
0: Yeah. That was going to be my next question. Like, have you forgiven yourself for, Making that decision?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say so. I think that my just my general personality, uh, accident, injury, uh, you know, life changing event or, or, or anything, I don't look back on any decision as, you know, I have to dwell on that. I'm, I'm, my personality uh, in general is to move forward, regardless yeah. of what the past experiences is, is um, in, in anything in life and I don't dwell on anything. I just look for the positive and how to find and, uh, you know, progress forward, whether that's business or personal or anything.
0: Well, with the, like, I guess the flip side on that, you you know, you are a very positive person and someone, you know, another person in your position may not have had the same result as you. Do you ever think that you know, this happened to you for a reason because you were able to inspire people, you are in, able to give people hope. Like, do you ever think about that as, you know, this is a gift that's kind of, you know, been a challenge in your life but it's effectively created a new beginning for you and quite possibly inspired many, many other people to, to say, well, I will too.
1: Mm-hmm. That's hard to answer. Uh, it gets me kind of emotional because so, so much good has come from this. Um, but, uh, you know, so I've dealt with so much pain because of it. And, um, you know, I'm over six years now of, of living with a spinal cord injury and all the challenges and dynamics. And it's an injury that it's much like a mental disorder because it's an injury that a lot of people can't see. Um, and they can't, they can't justify a break or anything like that. So, um, would I say it's a gift? No. Um, but I would say that it was an opportunity, um, Mm -hmm. that, that, uh, in the circumstances became an opportunity. Um, and I didn't, I didn't allow for something that definitely wasn't a gift. <laughs> um, it, something that was a, a tragedy or uh, a bad accident or bad choice or risk or whatever you want to call it. I didn't allow that to crush me and, and end Robert McDonald and um, whatnot. And I, I used it as an opportunity and, 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 and I, I, you know, I can tell I'm kind of choking up about it because I, I haven't kind of thought about it that way before, but yeah, yeah it's definitely an opportunity.
0: And the next question I have is around like advocating for yourself. I shared a bit of my story about my, you know, my injury and my accident and there's some parallels there for sure. And one thing that, you know, I felt strongly about was being able to advocate for myself because of, you know, friends and family and just, you know, being in Vancouver when my accident happened and, you know, having the resources you, you talk briefly about your time in the Mexican hospital. Like, was that something you were really afraid of? Like just being able to advocate for your own care, um, not really knowing, I guess, not really knowing the extent of what you're going to be going through in the, in the coming you know, minutes to, to days to months.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I wouldn't even say that I dwelled on it. And if I'm understanding your question correctly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say dwelled on it. It just was like, I need to get back to Canada. And um, it wasn't even like, is this the best thing for me? Or, you know, should I be considering something down here? Or it was just like, get to Canada. That was Mm -hmm. it. And, uh, you know, I've heard some stories with my neurosurgeon. He said to me that he had a patient that had surgery down in actually Mexico, which is where I was. And when they came back, he had to completely redo the yeah. surgery and said that, you know, the the likelihood of recovery is so much lower um, from a percentage base point. And my, you know, I, I did a co-presentation with him in the uh, probably about two years after my accident, his diagnosis was less than 5% chance that I would ever walk again. So, you know, for that, that low of chance to get even cut in half or, uh, fifth or whatever you want to call it is not not a place you want
0: to be, yeah not much not much room to move from there
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: The other question I have around your time kind of going through the rehab and let's call it the first you know six months. Was there any people that you'd looked towards that had been through something similar? did anyone kind of reach out to you, were you put in touch with? other people who had, you know, been through a similar accident and had recovered and kind of looked to them as inspiration or motivation, or was it all very much coming from a place of self motivation and and self inspiration?
1: It was really a lot of self, um, especially in the early days when I had no idea what, um, what it was like. I mean, I kind of searched for some stuff online, but I mean, even spinal cord injury, recovery has changed so much in the last decade because of the surgeries and the less invasive uh, procedures and whatnot. So I I didn't really find anyone. I mean, I did look, but I didn't find anyone. And, um, I, that's kind of why I had this mantra of, I will, it just became, you know, it became my support buddy and it became who I looked to. And it was my motto and my mantra. I guess i made it out of thin air, but, um, it you know it was like my imaginary friend uh, going along in this journey with me um and uh, i i did look to a lot of inspiring quotes um from philosophers and everything that you can think of and i would kind of tweet those out when i was uh, active on twitter and to to motivate myself um yeah. also show others that i was still motivated yeah. um so I would say it was, it was my own journey um, and with my, my model, which was I Will.
0: Yeah, perfect. And you've, you know, you've taken I Will and it's now become Team I Will. Um, why don't you share a little bit about how that started and, and give us an insight into your journey into endurance sports?
1: Fast forward from about two and a half years after my accident, I was working exclusively with a physiotherapist named Daryl in downtown Toronto. He does spinal cord injury uh, for rehabilitation for about 25 years. It's fantastic. He has a background in ballet, um, which was so integral. And uh, I say that after I became a uh, I became a an amateur ballet student in my late 20s. And if you know anything about me, that's that's pretty funny. But. Um, uh, I started working with him and I was progressing still and there was highs and lows of progressing. And, you know, I I actually started to figure out a trend with my spinal cord and I don't know why or what this is, uh, but from a scientific background, but it seemed like I would have tons of recovery and success for about a three week period. And then I would just be down and out mentally, physically, recovery and, you know, new um, activations in my muscles and strengthening and everything um, for a two-week period. So I was going through these five-week periods of happiness and sadness, um, and I don't know why it is, but it was it was making it really difficult um, because I had such an aspiration to recover fully, 100%. And when I would have these two-week periods of no gain and no improvement, it would just Um, even if it was finite, I would, I would, would really suffer mentally from it. And uh, that was one thing I didn't realize was how big of a mental journey this was going to be. I thought, you know, I thought I hurt my legs, um, and my, my muscles and my spinal cord. So I thought this was, you know, a 90% physical journey and a 10% mental one, but it actually ended up inverting to about a 20% physical, 80% mental journey. Um so I'm with him and I'm having these 5 week cycles that I'm noticing now and I said you know I need a longer out term goal in order to you know keep me focused even when I'm down and out and I'm not seeing those little gains um or at least something measurable so that I can I can see that I am still improving over a long period when I'm going through these tough times where I'm not and um that became running a half marathon. Um and at this point I could I could walk, uh, but I couldn't run. Um and the max distance I could walk was maybe five hundred meters to a kilometer. So when I brought this up with Daryl, my physiotherapist, he said, You're uh bleeping nuts. <laughs> 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 um And, uh, he's quite Frank and we have had, you know, a good relationship. And I said to him, you know, like, I know, but I need this. And, um, that's when the, the journey of trying to work towards that, um, started to be, and it really became a point of, um, having a goal and and growing every week. And when I told people that, you know, this was my goal, I'm going to try to do this in six months, I believe it was when I started Um, they said, you're bleeping nuts. And, uh, I said, yeah, I don't care. (laughs) Um, and, um, you know, I I had some really tough times in training and basically when I was telling and talking and being social about this, I, I said, you know, come and join me. Like, Why why don't you do this? And it was a really easy sell for me to get people to join along with me because I said, if I'm doing it, what excuse don't you have? (laughs) And uh, it was amazing the support that I got from my friends and family and network. And that was the transition from I Will to Team I Will. And uh, that year, I completed the half marathon um, um, running, jogging, walking. with seventy-two other people, and we ended up raising uh, seventy-three thousand dollars for Toronto Rehab um, Linter Spinal Cord Center that year, and That's we amazing. all had yeah. It was it it was so amazing that uh, one I was able to accomplish a personal goal. Um, two, um, so many other people were able to join in and raise money for Toronto Rehab. And in that order three, the most important thing was I saw how jumping on and joining and getting a lot of people that would not have joined necessarily um, if, it, if I wasn't in my circumstance, adapt on and join and, and sort of take my mantra and push themselves to accomplish their goals and uh, something that will got them outside of their comfort zone yeah. was really the coolest thing that I saw. Um, and I thought it was about me and I thought it was about raising money, but it actually ended up the the, the most powerful thing was about how other people had gone outside of their comfort zones because I'd been put outside of mine unnaturally um, or accidentally, but they pushed themselves out on purpose and how much they grew personally from it. And I was there to witness, of course, my change, but their change as well.
0: Yeah. I think that's the most you know poignant thing is, you never really know how many people you're impacting and you never really know how many people you're inspiring. And, you know, you talked about the 72 people that were there with you on the day, but that now, you know, has translated into more and more people. Um, And it might be, might be people that you never hear from or you've never heard of, or you've never met in your life that learn your story and see it and think, okay, well, why not? Like, you know, why not me? So I think, you know, kudos to you for obviously starting that journey for yourself, but also, you know, for being that, um, impetus for people to, to do something for the, for themselves as well, I think is really powerful in that time you were training for that half marathon. Did you notice a shift in your mindset? Like once you had a more of a longer term goal, um, did that help you get through those kind of mini cycles that you talked about?
1: For sure. And it also, um, it it, it definitely, you know, it it weighed on that, oh, I have this goal I have to commit to and I have to do. So even when I was demotivated that I wasn't getting any results, it was like, well, you just need to keep putting in the effort to get to this eventual goal. And all that effort will compound in the end, whether you're not seeing it right now or not. And it also... It also held me accountable. I mean, yeah, let's face the facts. You know, you, if you're not accountable to yourself or others, you're not going to do it. And by me broadcasting and holding it myself more accountable, it, it kept me motivated as well because I knew that eyes were watching and, and uh, people were, were rooting for me and, and I wanted to accomplish something. So it, it kept me motivated and accountable in that way, and I, I think I will. Team, I will does that for a lot of other people in a similar way.
0: Yeah, that's the legacy, right? That's the that's the part that you didn't plan for when you decided that uh, you were going to take on a half marathon and you know do something for yourself. That the legacy you're able to create was probably not part of that that grand master plan. Um, you know, when you're in the race, so you're in the half marathon, uh, you've you've been on this you know, amazing journey. Did your mind go back to that time in Mexico or were you just looking forward? You're looking at the finish line and what you need to get, what you need to do to get there. Um, or how much, you know, did you spend any time reflecting on how far you'd actually come and and, and where you'd been in the past?
1: Well, I think like any endurance athlete, you think uh, about a lot of things uh, during, um, the race and your mind is racing back and forth and sometimes to get your your mind off of the pain that's going on in your body, which I had a lot of uh, that first round and still have some today. But um, I think that I, uh, during the race, um, I was thinking about, you know, goal and get across the finish line and accomplish it. And then, like, immediately after taking half a step across <laughs> that finish line, it was like reflection, center, crying. Um, I remember still to this day, I had this like laughing, crying thing that was going on in happiness and sadness and joy at the end of the race. And I uh, like if you've ever heard a grown man cry and laugh at the same time, it is the worst sound <laughs> ever. And uh, that's what, what I was doing. And I think it was just my reflection hit so hard all at once. because yeah. I was just so goal focused for so long that it was kind of accomplishing that in in my own personal way it was like wow i have come so far you know cuz sometimes and one of the lessons i've learned sometimes i don't um stop and smell the roses i just yeah. look forward look forward look forward look forward and that moment was a kind of wow you have accomplished something sit back or fall over and collapse cuz you're so tired and realize what you have done, and and take uh, time, and you know some of the talks that I've given are about you know celebrating uh, the big moments, but also celebrating the little moments. And that for me, that exact moment where I crossed my first half marathon after my accident was that time where it was like, wow, you need to celebrate what you've done because it can also keep you motivated, whether it's a big big goal or something as tiny as just accomplishing one little workout.
0: I think that's an amazing piece of advice because I, you know, the general nature of endurance athletes is that we don't necessarily take the time to celebrate um, or reflect. It's more so about okay, what's next? Like, what's the next challenge? Or in some of the races I've done, it's like never again. And then five minutes later, you're like, okay, what's next? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be able to take a moment, I think is important, important, an important lesson for people to learn. With that in mind, how quickly was it? that your mind turned to, okay, what's next?
1: Improvement was instant. Uh, it was not ne- like, that's just been a constant all the way through um, in my body and recovery and rehabilitation. Um, that's kind of always, you know, the next morning I'm waking up thinking about how I can move my body to activate stuff and everything like that. Um, the next actual goal wasn't for a month or two, I think, um, after, because I put a lot of stress on my body and, uh, I knew that. I think I knew that, um, an extra stress, not just race stress, but, uh, so much other stuff. And of course, uh, I, I did the exact same thing as the, you know, the athlete that's completed a uh, half marathon, um, or, or Olympic triathlon and says, I'm going to do an Ironman or I'm going to do a marathon. Well, I did the same thing (laughs) and said, even though it was so tough, I said, I'm going to do a marathon. And, uh, you know, that would become my next focus.
0: And then you've gone on to complete that and you're now, you've done a couple of triathlons and you'd mentioned an Ironman potentially in the future. What, what is that next step for you? Tell us about your kind of journey from that half marathon into triathlon and the development you've taken uh, in the sport and what, what is next for you?
1: I think that, first of all, the the way that I and the reason that I got into triathlon uh, was um, first friends that did it. I had a friend, Eric, that did tons of uh, triathlons, and I think he's done now four uh, Ironmans. So he was heavily involved in the sport, and he was sort of my coach for running and whatnot. We both kind of came to the realization that you can't just solely do running. It's beating your body up because, you know, I'm not running Uh, like a regular cadence and it's it's tough on the body and the joints and everything like that and said well you you clearly want to do the endurance so why don't we try swimming and biking and there might add those in the mix and instead of just one thing it's three things and might be a little easier on your body we started practicing and all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, 10 or something triathlons later, I'm addicted because it's, uh, you know, swimming is first of all, is my passion and what I really, really like. And I, I didn't realize that I would enjoy swimming so much. I'd never done it competitively. I'd never, um, done a race or anything really. It was just like, I would never done lap swimming. Um, so to get into the pool and fall in love with that sport was so unique. And, it was actually one of the things where I didn't have the limitations as much, um, as I did in other, uh, sports gravity, gravity wasn't fighting against me like it was in cycling or running. Um, so, um, it was amazing to fall into that and, you know, try to really push myself even more, um, on speed and other things like that. Um, and swimming was so cool and, what was um, that
0: What was that first experience like when you turn up at the pool? And I take this for granted. I, you know, I swam from when I could walk and I could imagine it's quite confronting the first time someone goes to the pool to swim laps or to do a workout. Uh, tell me about that experience. What was that like for you? The first time you kind of decided you were going to become a triathlete and that meant you needed to do some swimming?
1: Well, there's two stories to it. <laughs> One that's kind of funny. I showed up and I forgot my goggles in a chlorine pool. So that was interesting <laughs> right off the bat um, and maybe made my workout a little more, less enjoying. But nonetheless, <laughs> I went past that obstacle. Um, and I, 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 because of my injury, um, it was very hard for me to feel free and unnervous. I have to think about every step to this day with my right foot, especially. Um, And if I don't, I can fall. Um, And uh, to get in the pool and glide and not have that fear of hurting myself or falling um, or doing something wrong was like so freeing to my mind and body. Um, And don't get me wrong, I had a long way to come in the pool, but it, uh, it was like an instant love of the fact that I was gliding through the water without uh, gravity coming against me like it does in, uh, running. Yeah, it's
0: a great way to describe it. And I find um, swimming probably more so than other sports uh, is a bit more like meditative for me. There's no you know, you lose some of the, stimulation of the noise and the, you know, the, the things going on and you're breathing and you can kind of really just get in the zone a little bit more, I think when I'm swimming, do you find that to be the case as well?
1: 1 million percent. It's like, if you're, if you're into yoga and or, or not into yoga and can't get into yoga and, but still want the meditative, um, benefits, swimming is the way to go. Cause you feel like, you feel euphoric and like so level-headed and so uh, at ease after a swim, even though you've worked your butt off. Um, And it's still to this day when I do swimming, I can't, that feeling still comes back. It's not like it's, it leaves you either. So um, uh, there's, I I guess I say, I agree with you uh, (laughs) utterly and wholly uh, in that, in that fact.
0: With that in mind, do you like, was it that, feeling for you initially you talked about the gliding but like obviously when someone jumps in the pool for the first time a lot of times it's like okay how do I not drown how do I get to the other end and not be completely out of breath like how long did it take you to find that like uh I guess the fitness and the physical comfort where you could be a bit more meditative and a a bit more at ease in the water
1: yeah that would have been like where you really got it and I mean you're I feel like uh, y- y- when you glide, your glide only gets longer and better as you get more experienced and more, um, comfortable in the pool. So, you know, uh, the glide that I had may have only been like half a second or something like that before I was trying to get my head up to get water in the beginning. Um, but then it would start getting longer and I was cognizant of that. Um, I would say before I really got comfortable, it was probably two months. Um, yes. and, and, uh, I should qualify that with, I I grew up swimming at my cottage and, you know, at the lake and whatnot. Um, So I did know how to swim quite well. It's just I never did it uh, for an endurance sport. It was always just like swimming from A to B or something like that or jumping off the dock and swimming back in.
0: Changing gears a little bit here. Um, Obviously, Team I Will has grown and, you you know, you've moved past that initial 73,000 that you raised in the first year. And why don't you share a bit more about that journey and, the amount of, you know, the number of people you've been able to bring into the program and the amount of money you've been able to raise and, you know, the impact you've been able to have through Team I Will.
1: It's, it's, it's quite amazing. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about me personally on this on this call and my journey and whatnot. And we could have a whole nother call just on Team I Will's journey. But for me to recap and give you the uh, skinny on Team I Will is is. Is, is quite amazing in the fact that it was 73 and 73, 000, 72 and seventy three thousand in the first year and then it grew from that to I believe it was 134 participants doing a half marathon or full marathon or 5k and we raised in that year sorry ninety four thousand. The team's getting so old i can't remember all the numbers <laughs> or maybe i'm getting too old I yeah maybe maybe both <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> maybe more of the latter anyways um so we grew by members and then crew again in uh the third year and did uh a, a, around the same ninety thousand and i think it was 115 people and then last year was our big kind of year of that you know we have something here and this is helping so many Canadians get outside their comfort zone, meet people, stay accountable, uh, be motivated to to sport and to life and to uh, everything. So we we did a boot camp and that had 260, 62 people. Um, we did and raised uh, gross about uh, eighteen thousand um, dollars. We then did a party for the first time as well and had uh, 270 people. And that was uh, raised about 30,000 gross. And then we had our marathon again. That was our key event. It was the fourth year and we had uh, the most members this year and we raised, uh, I think it was 87,000. Bringing our grand total of all the funds we've raised net to over $340,000 for, um, yeah, for Toronto Rehab and Lindhurst Spinal Cord Rehabilitation Center. You know, we're four years in and so many people were helping and enjoying and growing and whatnot. I basically sat back and said, you know, this has something, it's going to continue to grow and I'm holding it back right now. And so many people want to and are able to help out and um that started to happen last year and now it's full-fledged believe it or not coincidentally we have our first kickoff meeting for 2019 um and uh, we did our orga- organizational chart which is pretty crazy uh, thinking back four years ago we wouldn't have had an organizational mm-hmm. chart there only would have been one person on it um yes. we, have, we have 50 on there now um 50 people and uh, all levels and um, our goal this year is five years, 500,000 raised for uh Toronto rehab, uh, Linter spinal Spinal and Rehabilitation Center. So- That's amazing. And
0: then how, so maybe just kind of take it a step back a little bit that obviously, you know, you spent your time at the rehab center, the money that goes back to them, maybe explain a little bit about how, you know, that is helping. Is it, you know, offering services to people who can't afford it is it for new equipment. Like what's the, I guess, what's the kind of payback that you're, able to provide there in a, um, you know, in a, in a real life situation.
1: We have basically teamed up with them to, to start something. Um, but we're waiting on some grants and some other information to come back. So I, uh, can't publicly reveal at at the moment, but let's just say it's something big. Um, not, not only for, for patients that have uh, injuries today um, and are in rehab there. There's, you know, a hundred of Canadians that are in there right now um, recovering, um, but also for the future and for research um, in how to better handle and um, give people like me, or uh, as I like to say, the next me more, more chance than uh, less than 5%, you know, yeah. to, have, to have a 10% or a 20% or a 25% chance would be a dream so um i can't say exactly what that is but we have uh, sort of committed to something and we're just waiting and as as you know uh, the hospitals and everything works takes some time so yep. hopefully we'll have a conversation and i'll be able to reveal something pretty pretty awesome under the team i will brand
0: that's great we'll we'll, uh, we'll definitely do a follow-up on that because i you know i'm super interested to hear what that uh, what that is now tell me about you know, your current state and your recovery and kind of how important sleep and nutrition and supplementation and, um, those type of things are to, to be able just to de- go about your day-to-day business, but also, you know, with the attempts of, of being an endurance athlete, tell me about how important that is to you.
1: Um, super important. Um, I would say sleep is my number one. Um, I, I couldn't believe how much sleep I required when I was initially recovering. And I'm talking for the first year or two years with my spinal cord. Um, it was just, there was something called nerve fatigue that set in and you know, you, there's two things you have to recover. Um, when you have a spinal cord injury, you lose all your muscle atrophy. So you have to, uh, you have muscle atrophy. So you have to regain your muscles and build those back up. But in order to gain those, you have to um, have your nerves be active, um, and then strengthen them. So, I my initial thing and why I was successful is in through help of Toronto Rehab's facility is we we really focused on uh, building up my nervous system, and you know you would challenge that so much with minor 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 movements, um, and the nerve fatigue that would set in, wouldn't you? Even if even if you had the strength to lift you know, 200 pounds on a bench press, if your nerve, uh, system, nervous system is fatigued, you don't have a chance of lifting one pound. Yeah. So, um, I would have to sleep so much and still to this day, I sleep a lot more than I used to. Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm a lot back more back to normal. I will be the first one to admit though. My nutrition is not uh top of the line. And if there's any nutritionists listening, listening out there that want to help me please. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I live alone, um, and uh, I live downtown Toronto. And there's so many options. And quite frankly, I, I could do a better job. I think um, would be more successful uh, if I was more focused on uh, nutrition.
0: Like, what about supplementation? You know, obviously nutrition could be better. Do you take supplementation? One thing that I've really been starting to use is uh, is CBD. And one of the you know the sponsors of the program is iCor Labs, and they you know really they've created an amazing. Uh, CBD product do you have you tried any of that is like supplementation something that you've kind of been introduced to or CBD or you know pain relief those kind of things
1: uh well i i've i've listened to a you know we're on a podcast i've listened to a podcast about CBD and uh, got some uh, preliminary background information it hasn't been something that i have tried but uh i mean i i, I wouldn't count it out and it's actually funny you say that because uh, our running coach and um um, the chair of our marathon committee for Team I Will uh, just messaged this week asking if anyone had tried it. He's going to do uh, it a bit for recovery. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I'm not an expert in that. I have not tried it yet, but uh, it's definitely something that uh, interests me for sure.
0: Well, we'll get the uh, we'll get the gang at iCore Labs to uh, to send you some to to try. It's for me personally, having used it, you know, and you know, I'm getting older and have been through injuries and um, you know, not recovering the way that I used to before the accident. I definitely have noticed a difference in my you know personal recovery and the the deeper sleep and you know less anxiety and all of those things that come along with it. So um, yeah, we'll get those guys to give you some uh, give you yeah. some product to try and it's check it out. It's iCore. I call labs. Yeah. I K O R. -R. Yeah.
1: I K O R. Awesome. Well, yeah, Yeah. no, hit me up guys. (laughs) Check it out.
0: We'll uh, we'll get those guys to send some stuff. So now Robert, you're uh, gearing up for the Toronto triathlon festival this summer, I believe.
1: Yes. Yes. it will be our first, uh, I guess, uh, uh, team I will event at a triathlon. We always did it as friends and had some gear, but uh, we're going in as a proper team this year and we're really excited to have people doing the try try to, you know, professional level guys like uh, Ryan, as you know, doing the Olympic try and going for going for places.
0: How can people get in touch with you? Obviously, we'll be able to share your contact details in the show notes and kind of through our promotion and through the feature on inner voice. But what's uh, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you if they've you know, felt inspired or moved by your story or want some advice or, you know, know someone in a similar situation, what's uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: First off, there's teamiwill.ca. Um, so, you can go on to uh, Google and find us at teamiwill.ca, or you can uh, hit us up on Instagram, which is at teamiwillcanada. And uh, that's the best way to sort of get involved with and you know, keep on going, what's going on with us. And, um, I think they're a little more interesting than I am. Uh, but if you want to connect with me personally, um, Instagram is probably the best way. And, uh, that's at Rob Mac 1986.
0: Brilliant mate. Um, is there anything else that we've missed? Is there anything else that, uh, we should include, uh, final thoughts, final words?
1: Sure. I mean, the final word in my opinion is that I had this happen to me and, uh, I had to fight through it, but I think what a lot of people sometimes don't take for granted is that you know something in life as small as a breakup or as big as a job change or career change can get you out of whack and get you out of line. Uh, it doesn't have to be something as catastrophic as what happened to me, um, and I think that everyone should have a mantra, a motto, a role model, a goal in mind and, and behind them. Making sure that they're, you know, heading in the right direction and staying positive because we're all going to run into roadblocks in life. In order to get over them and stay positive and keep moving forward, uh, no matter what the circumstances, I think you should have one. Mine is I will, and uh, many other team I team I will members is the same. But I think anyone should have one because uh, nothing, nothing can stop any one of us if we believe it won't, and that's that's just the bottom line. With anything I've seen in life.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible message, mate. I I really, really appreciate you sharing um, your story with us today. I really appreciate everything you've done um, for other people. And I give you a a massive pat on the back and I can't wait to follow your journey. I can't wait to get together in Toronto one day and and hang out and, and chat some more. And this has been super inspiring and super insightful and I'm sure uh, the listener will get a lot out of this. So I appreciate your time, mate, and I look forward to, uh, to staying in touch and, and following your journey and, and the journey of team, I will. So thanks again.
1: Fantastic. Thank you.
0: Thank you again to Robert McDonald for joining me on this episode of the Inner Voice Audio Experience. I think you'll agree, Robert has an amazing story and the way that he has been able to turn his life around and inspire others through Team I Will is something to be really recognized for. I can't wait to follow Robert's journey and stay in touch with him as he leads up to the Toronto Triathlon Festival in July this year. Thank you also to our friends at iCore Labs. As mentioned, iCore is a perfect product for anyone who is looking to supplement their busy lives, training as an executive, or as a parent, iCor has really helped me, and I think it will help you as well. For Inner Voice listeners, they have an amazing offer, 15% off each and every order of iCore, directly from their website, iCorLabs.com. Please go and take a look and support them as they've been great supporters of ours here at Inner Voice. If you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you go and leave a positive rating. If you've got feedback, suggestions or ideas for me, please send me a note stories at innervoice.life. I look forward to hearing from each and every single one of you and I can't wait to bring you more inspiring, motivating and authentic athlete stories from across the world of endurance sports.